The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Business is changing, and new marketing avenues are opening up every day. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show that brings you the innovators and trendsetters, taking us to a new age of marketing, media, and social business strategy. Welcome to Market Edge with Glenn Engler. Get ready to hear perspectives on social media and digital marketing that will help you gain insight into the unique opportunities and challenges facing marketers and thought leaders today. Now, now, please welcome your host, a Fortune 500 industry figure in the marketing and communications world for more than 25 years and Chief Executive Officer of Digital Influence Group, the host of Market Edge, Glenn Engler. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group, a full-service digital marketing agency that helps companies unlock the social potential of their brands and amplify its impact to drive business results. Today, I'll be talking about CMO and the age of the customer with David Cooperstein, Vice President and Practice Leader of Forrester Research, where his research focuses on CMOs and marketing leadership professionals. David has worked as a marketing and strategy expert for more than 20 years, 15 of those years in internet technology and marketing strategy. He's been on executive teams with public and private companies and worked on the boards of several internet startups. David worked at Forrester from 1996 to 2002 in both the telecom and retail verticals and rejoined in 2009. He's helped define the multi-channel retail world, predicted the demise of many of the dot-com retailers, and uncovered the true economics of bandwidth during his first tenure with Forrester. A leading expert in digital marketing and strategy, David has spoken at numerous industry and company events and has been quoted extensively in major national media outlets. You can follow David on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash mini Cooper or check out his blog on the Forrester website. It's great to have you on Market Edge, David. Great. Thanks for having me, Glenn. So your blog activity has been fascinating. There's a bunch of recent posts that have really popped on my radar screen. And one of the ones that I loved was uh, titled, I think, Conquering the Marketing Technology Divide. And you talk about marketing and technology needing to come together in this age of the customer. Can you talk a little bit more about this and why it's critical for CMOs to partner with their CIO counterparts? Yeah, there's really uh, two reasons that are uh, driving some of this change. One is uh, from the business side and the, and the consumer side, which is that uh, people have access to more and more technology at their, at their disposal, and it's causing the marketers to have to figure out, how do I reach these people in all these different environments that uh, vary in terms of the, uh, the, the type of community that's being formed or the type of technology and where it's being used um, and the messages that are going to resonate within those particular uh, environments. On the technology front, uh, at the, the back office and as the back office meets the front office, if you will, um, the challenge for the CIO is to be able to uh, make sure that the customer is having a, a consistent experience regardless of where those touch points come in. So it's really Im- uh, imperative for the marketer to work with the CIO to say, here are the things that we want to do with the customer on the front end, and for the CIO to be able to say, yes, I can integrate that so that you get a full view of the customer, and more importantly, the customer gets a full view of their experience with the company. So it's really a, a, um, uh, a, a 
an important factor um, is that marketing is so fundamentally technology-driven now that you can track these things, and the CIO needs to be able to accommodate that in helping the company run their business. And one of the things you talked about uh, in the the video interview with with your CIO counterpart was around uh, in this day and age, there's there's the customer from the the marketing standpoint, but the uh, I'm sorry, the, the brand from the marketing standpoint, but the customers are so active already out there, given the whole social footprint. Um, how does that change the CIO requirement from I think the uh, uh, discussion of CIO was backroom, but now they're front of house. Um, so how is that technological landscape changing the requirement of the CIO? Yeah, so the, the CIO has a, um, has uh, formally focused on business projects that focus on internal data. Um, that's really where the where the the effort was driven was making for making sure the fundamentals of the business was operating correctly. Um, and a lot of that technology, it continues to evolve, but it is somewhat more uh, predictable. And the CIO's role now is to focus on how can they help the, the CMO in determining where the company can grow and actually helping enable the platforms that will allow the company to grow. Um, the social uh, component of this becomes more complicated because it used to be that uh, marketers could make plans on an 18-month cycle or a 12-month cycle in terms of their um, uh, messages and how they were going to put them out into the marketplace. And we're seeing with companies like Gap and Starbucks, they make a something like a logo change and the whole world erupts in discussion about whether that was the right thing to do. And um, that that input that's coming in could cause the marketer to make decisions not on an 18, a 12 to 18 month schedule, but on an eight, 12 to 18 hour schedule in some cases, if they need to correct something. And um, the world of the CMO is a little bit more attuned to that uh, ability to change. The world of the, of the technology department and the CIO is typically driven by a long list of projects that have not been divided up based on business versus operations. Um, and so the CIO has to keep up with that rapidly changing pace at which uh, input is being given by the customer um, and make sure the systems are up and running so that if those hiccups do occur, so a, a hiccup in the customer service department, for example, um, that doesn't uh, affect the social uh, um, the, the social sentiment out there and then otherwise impact the brand. And are you seeing with uh, all your work with CMOs, are you seeing the, the skill sets Skill set requirement of CMOs starting to change uh, in parallel to that. Yeah, I think there's. Um, if I were to, if I were to point to the three skill sets that that CMOs are being hired for right now, um, the first is they're more strategy and business than they are marketing, mm. um, and I think that's just important because they're they're being viewed as the voice of the customer being brought to the executive table. Um, the second is that they've got a more analytical perspective on marketing, and that doesn't mean that they're not creative. Um, but that they need to understand what the data is telling them because there's so much data about the, the consumer. And so one thing we hear a lot about them is that they're building out their customer intelligence departments uh, in a significant way. Um, and then the third piece, and, the, and I think equally relevant, I don't think one of those is more powerful than the other, but the third piece is having a uh, an appreciation for technology, even if they are not a coder or a <laughs> programmer, um, but understanding um, the benefits that technology brings to the table and um, when you talk to a CMO, you can you can kind of get this right away, whether they uh, start off the conversation by talking about um, uh, what is exciting about the message that they are putting out um, versus the uh, conversation that they are hearing from their customers uh, and willing to make changes based on that. So you can kind of tell that they, they understand that technology is something that is everywhere and out of their control, 
versus the message, which is something that is uh, has historically been under their control. And that's where you kind of see whether they can sort of grasp the concept that technology is changing the way they have to think about marketing. That is it's a really interesting insight, thinking about some of the great CMOs that are out there. You look at uh, Marty St. George at, at JetBlue, and it is all about that customer responsiveness. And, you know, he himself uh, responding to some of the, the Twitter results or certainly knowing about it is just um, it absolutely permeates that entire organization. Really interesting. Yeah, and you, um, and you get folks from, uh, you know, from even CPG companies that are starting to really grasp the fact that uh, customer engagement is more important than, than brand awareness. Mm. Um, from Coke and, and uh, Kellogg's and P&G, they really are starting to grasp that concept of engagement. So heading down that path, there was uh, some fascinating dialogue that you were certainly involved in on one of the LinkedIn groups around CMO networks, which started to get at the marketing funnel and and metrics and how to think uh, differently, like needing a new model, if you will, than the more traditional marketing funnel. Um, you had some really interesting points of view around that. I know this is an area you are passionate about. Um, can you share some insights around that? Sure. Uh, you know, the, the issue that people have had about the marketing funnel, not just recently, but for a long time, has been its very linear process. And that's been accentuated by the fact that you might have um, – if you think about the, the marketing funnel starting brand new with a big bucket of people that you're trying to create awareness with, um, that used to be the beginning of the process of linear marketing. Um, mm -hmm. And as you get further and further down the funnel, you might have somebody that considers your product but doesn't need it, but then they tell their friends, hey, I just came across this really cool product that I'm not going to buy. And all of a sudden, you've got uh, people who are creating awareness midway through this thing called the funnel. And so it becomes a very leaky funnel. And you become more like a sieve, actually, not necessarily in a bad way, but in a way that a linear process doesn't really define the experience anymore. Um, and you couple that with the fact that the, the funnel then boils it down to the few people at the end who uh, very often the funnel will have loyalty at the bottom. Um, but the, the challenge with that is that it's still a linear process. So you get loyalty, but you don't bring it back in and all you're doing is creating more awareness. So. It's it, in 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 a in a world where you've got two-way communication going on between companies and customers, and uh, really between customers and other customers uh, that they're influencing. Um, that it doesn't make sense to have a linear process in marketing. In fact, um, what we've defined is what we call the customer life cycle, and that has some similarities to the funnel, but it, it in, in two ways it's very different. One is that it's drawn as a circle because we think that brands should be creating a relationship with a customer, and that relationship shouldn't end when they buy a product. Mm -hmm. It should continue throughout the uh, course of introducing new products or in a service experience or in uh, getting them to uh, buy the product, product on a repeat basis if it's a, if it's a repeat purchase type of, type of good like you know, shampoo or, or what have you. Um, but the, the other thing that, that the customer lifecycle does is make sure that the engagement happens immediately after the buying process. So the four phases of the customer lifecycle are a discover phase where you're discovering a need. Um, the engagement, the explore phase where you're exploring what the options are for that need that you've discovered. Um, very importantly, the next stage is the buy phase um, where there is a purchase process in the, in the funnel, but this is about the, the brand's relationship to the buying experience in that third phase. And then the fourth phase is connecting the buy phase back to the discover phase, and we call that engage. And the point of the engage phase is that once somebody buys your product, you don't want them to walk away. You want them to be connected to your brand because they just have had a, hopefully a good experience with your product. And by having such a great engage phase, 
instead of bringing people back to the top of an awareness process, they're already aware of the next product you're going to bring out because they've stayed in connection with the company. So one good example of this is, uh, is in the automotive business. Um, people always wonder why they offer that uh, four-year free maintenance on BMWs and other cars uh, mm-hmm. at various times. The reason for that is not because they want to give away free oil changes and give away free labor. It's because they want you to come into the showroom every six months or so over the course of the life of your car. So when you go to buy a new car, you've seen those new models every time you walk in the showroom, and you've had a good experience with the service department, ideally. So that whole engagement process, which doesn't require social media, but does require you to think about how you engage customers, is part of this closed loop of marketing so that you create a lot of loyalty. And if you think about brands in the auto sector that have done that, BMW is a great example. And they've yeah. um, created that that awareness of the products as you go through so that you're going to buy the next product when, you're, when your car is ready for uh, being replaced. So makes absolute perfect sense and love the idea of the circle versus the funnel. Um, you and I both spent a lot of time with CMOs who I'm not sure what the average tenure is. Uh, I think someone I heard it's actually gone up a little bit from whatever it is, 18 or 19 months, but it's still 20 or 21. Um, pressured, not the same amount of resources, and many of them have grown up with the world of a four Ps or the other um, key theories, even the funnel about how the tools that they have in place. What's your experience or observation about the ones that are um, I have to assume all intellectually connecting with what you just outlined, but then moving to operationalizing them. Are you seeing patterns or themes of um, by industry, by individual? Um, you know, how, how do you see that parse out? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, this is there's some uh, responsibility for the CMO to change their behavior um, personally as well as for their organization, and so we're seeing people recognize that. Um, it's not just about um, uh, uh, the the brand or what the brand stands for or how the marketing department does its daily life, but it's really it's fundamentally changing the underpinnings of how the marketing operate, organization operates. And mm-hmm. I would say the recession has caused the CMOs to be more accountable, and the accountability has driven them to look for more ways to be accountable. And the more ways to be accountable has pointed them towards more interactive media where they can see how a lower cost medium or a medium that they can turn up or down actually gives them a lot of data about what their customers are doing. Um, And so if if you take that to the next level, they're thinking, well, gee, what do I have to do now in order to be able to grow the company, manage my uh, budget, and be able to succeed in this world? I need to change the way I think about things because I can't just plan campaigns and run them and hope that they do well. Got it. And so I think that's that's causing them to adapt some of their behavior and um, uh, you know go beyond the the the, uh, the things that they were taught in in business school. And do you see that equally um, across different industries, or are there certain ones that pop where that's being embraced more aggressively, um, or is it really more the culture of the organization or the individual? I, I give more credit to the culture of the organization and mm-hmm. how much uh, leadership understands what they want out of marketing. Um, you have some companies that are very advanced in digital that are actually not very enlightened when it comes to thinking differently about the marketing process. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, in CPG, there are companies like that in the, in the consumer products world. In automotive, there's certainly some very enlightened CMOs and some that are still very, uh, uh, very much doing things by the way they were taught. Right. Um, so, you kind of have to, the way I do, the way I figure this out usually is I, I watch a TV commercial. Um, and if the TV commercial is telling me speeds and feeds about the product, and I mean, even if it's cereal, they're telling me what's in the cereal as opposed to what the brand stands for. Um, 
they're not using the medium right, and therefore they're probably not a very enlightened um, CMO. TV should be all about emotion, and they should be driving you to some other way to get the information about what the product actually does for you um, and have such an engaging experience you want to connect all those um, pieces of the puzzle. Very interesting. So building on the, the that uh, brand word, you and I have talked about the implication of uh, digital and social media on brand health and uh, – the the com- the idea of online conversations and engaging what's going on today and right now in the social space being a almost a leading indicator of brand health health down the road and you mentioned a, a Gap and a and a Starbucks um, as examples of those that have reacted or have not reacted um, very quickly. How do you think about why CMOS um, worrying about tracking brand health differently now than perhaps they were in the past? Um, well, there's a the, the the issue with social media and brand health is a, is a pretty scary one for for marketers because it used to be that if your awareness was going down or your or the sentiment around your brand was going down every quarter you get an update on that or you know in some cases every six months and you'd have to report that or you could fix it with a new campaign and and things would improve um, and sales may or may not be affected by that but um, that's right. probably the only time you would hear about it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but now you've got uh, the ability for people to uh, flare up an issue, and every industry has seen this. United Airlines saw this. Toyota saw this. Um, uh, Gap with their logo saw this. Is that um, the the change in consumer sentiment can happen really quickly? Um, it can happen overnight, and it can happen in huge volume because you, yeah. if you get something that really is an issue, people are going to talk about it and tell their friends, and it goes viral, and all of a sudden, 750 million people on Facebook know about <laughs> an issue that you've had. Um, so the the virality, you know, and not just Facebook, but YouTube and LinkedIn and all these other sources, yep. the virality issue um, becomes a huge problem because sentiment can change overnight in the public eye, not just for the consumer's public eye, but also for the CEO's public eye and the, and the shareholders. Um, so all of a sudden you've got this, you've got a huge risk factor of having to manage your brand's health, not on a quarter by quarter sales driven uh, methodology, but on a day to day, in some cases, hour by hour uh, uh, sentiment in huge volumes across the globe um, with a velocity that if you, if you're not keeping an eye on it, it can get out of control before you, with without you having a response. So you, know, you can look at something like Tylenol where their brand health was obviously, and I'm talking about their original issues with brand health, mm-hmm. um, a number of years ago where their, their response to a problem wasn't what it should have been, but that was mostly a PR issue. Right. And they could have quelled that with good corporate communications thinking. Um, this is beyond the capability of, of just the PR department. Um, this really requires the whole company to be aware of and for having the tools to lis- be listening to find out where there are flare-ups and know what the, the right answer is, which might be just, we're listening. And uh, very often that is what tamps people down. Um, but if they don't say that and they don't participate in the conversation, that's where uh, the flare-ups get uh, completely out of control. So that brand health issue is one that you have to be not just aware of and, and responding to, we actually have to be responding to in a, in a very real, uh, real way. So it's a great point, and you just teed up that word, the uh, or the words, the entire organization. You talk a little bit about the um, the impact of uh, social and brand. Uh, it seems like it is so much more relevant and necessary. We've talked about the CIO. You talked about PR. Can you talk a little bit about the um, the organizational requirement? Um, you know, the different groups within an organization vis-a-vis this this topic. Yeah, I mean, you know, the big, the big issue for um, for companies 
today is that everybody represents the brand that they work for, whether they like it or not. And in the past, you might have operations take the information and present it to their teams, uh, be that a ticket agent at a at an airport or a uh, call center agent at a phone company or uh, the teller at a bank. They would know generally what the brand was about, but they weren't thinking about themselves as representatives of the brand. And what's changed in a, so, it, it, and driven a, a bit by social media is these people are not only impacting the brand when they are at work standing up at their at their uh, at their uh, sort of frontline experience. They're also representing the brand when they go home and they talk about their work. Mm. Um, they're they're representing the brand um, when they are putting together a product. And if they really care about the customer experience, they know whether the product has to be perfect or if people are going to buy it even if it's not. And we you know there's plenty of technology products, for example, that are not perfect but people um, know that and understand that the technology is not perfect, but the experience is great. Um, people really have people in the company really have to absorb that customer experience and know that whenever they are talking uh, to anybody, whether it's a friend or family or somebody on the street, they are representing their brand uh, in a way they never have before because people mm-hmm. can hear the conversation and tweet it, even if it's not actually the employee. So it means that the entire company really has to get behind what it means to be part of the customer experience. Um, mm. because they are all touch points to the company. There's really no, the, the, the only, the, the, there is no part of the company that is not considered a touch point um, uh, all the way through to people get interviewed at the factory. Uh, right. So they really think right. about what the brand is. And the CMO has to be much more of a, an executive leader, not just a senior leader at the company as a result. And back to that word that you said before around, uh, around the culture of the organization really driving a lot of it. Um, okay, so we're going to take a short commercial break. Please stand by, and we'll be right back with David Cooperstein and more of the conversation. Market Edge will return in just a moment. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. 
TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Blog, blog, blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. We're back with more Market Edge, bringing you the best and brightest voices in digital marketing, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Once again, here's Glenn Engler. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Glenn Engler, and I'm here today with David Cooperstein, Vice President and Practice Leader for Forrester Research, talking about CMOs and the age of the customer. So, David, we've talked about brand health, we've talked about organizational, we've talked about purchase funnel, talked about the CIO, CMO uh, linkage and, uh, and partnership. One of the things, and Forrester was really a leader around mapping out um, paid, owned, and earned, um, and uh, this notion of partnerships and sponsorships. Can you talk a little bit from the role of the CMO, how you see digital media playing a role um, within this traditional media mix? Yeah, uh, digital is, a, is one word. Um, <laughs> Yet it has many different definitions. <laughs> and yep. I think this is important as people start to integrate uh, digital into their overall marketing effort. Um, so if you think about it, even three or four years ago, digital was banner ads. And that was pretty straightforward. People knew what that meant and they could do whatever they needed to do there. Um, but now we're finding that, uh, or it could be a website. But uh, what we found is that there are four uh, primary ways in which uh, companies can think about digital as they relate to their campaign. It can be the inspiration for the campaign. Um, which is you know, very much a, a digital native idea or an idea that has to live first in digital and then might get applied to a TV campaign. Um, yep. It can be the hub for a campaign, so it could bring people to a central point where there's commentary and uh, community and product information that is provided at a hub for the campaign. Um, it can also, in a, in, a, in a paid media context, it can do two things. It can optimize a campaign, so you can look at creative and look at how different creative are working differently. Uh, it can look at different target audiences and talk to them differently uh, in sort of an optimizing way. Um, and then also in a paid media standpoint, it can uh, it can multiply the impact of your budget. Mm. So if you can't be in flight all year long uh, or all month long, you can use digital to intersect those uh, times when you're out of flight to extend the campaign because the consumer is still going to these multiple media types and would see the campaign in another medium and, and keep the brand uh, alive. So there are those four ways of... of um, Doing things, what we're also seeing people do is start to think about digital as a component of their owned media strategy. And by owned media, I could mean the website, but I also mean the point of purchase displays in stores. Um, so they're looking at ways to uh, bring the digital experience, quote unquote, of friending the brand or doing product selection or configuring your product right to the point of purchase in either retail or a vending machine. And that's where I think we're really going to see digital be a fundamental fundamentally integrated mm. part of the overall marketing pie is when you start being able to go to a store, configure a product, press the, uh, you know, the Facebook button and tell your friends or press the email me this configuration yep. and uh, really link the offline and the online experience. Really interesting. Um, so when you start talking about um, the, the retail, uh, the retail experience, point of purchase, new technology, uh, the incredible changing landscape, then we overlay the time press CMO and all of the requirements that you mapped around strategy, business, analytic, technology. How, how do or how can CMOs keep up 
on this uh, incredibly rapidly evolving landscape? What's some guidance you would give? Um, yeah, that's actually a really, uh, it's a really tough issue for CMOs. Whenever we talk to them, they say they, they you know, they don't read blogs or they try, or they, they read them when somebody sends them to them. Um, they have a really tough time keeping up with all the news out there and they tend to gravitate towards familiar news sources. Um, I think it's a combination of them asking the right questions uh, of their agency partners, their consulting partners, companies like Forrester that are keeping up with what's, what's out there, um, and also hiring people within their company that can act as uh, almost brand advocates out in the field and find out what's going on on Facebook and report that back. Mm. Um, what's going on in the store um, from a digital experience standpoint and report that back. And be uh, think about the organization differently in terms of the people that are most impactful in the organization's long-term future may be the people who are the 24-year-old director of social media that we're hearing people hire all the time. Um, and these people don't have the same work habits, um, but they're being encouraged not to have those same work habits. I've actually heard two people in the last um, couple of weeks, CMOs, who have a direct report who's 24 years old, who spends uh, half their time have their date, have their awake time, so not necessarily nine to five, uh, hanging out in social media, and that's their job. It's to report back on what they're finding out, respond to things that need to be responded to, elevating things that need to be responded to. Um, that's a different organizational structure than sure the. I've I've worked twenty years in marketing, therefore I should report to the CMO, right, uh, or right. to the CMO. So we're seeing the CMO, that, you know, and this is happening a lot in retail, especially because they realize that the issues are very current and they can affect sales, um, right. Uh, so we're seeing it, it primarily there, but there's um, there's definitely a wave of, of new employees that are being asked not to think about a hierarchy, but they're asked to be, they're they're asked for their contribution because they understand a market segment just like somebody might understand China or Korea or Brazil better. These people understand those communities that they're living in better. So really, not only technological to help, but it sounds like some. Um, uh, physical FTEs to help be the eyes and ears a little bit and report back is just really different. I'm sure that adds incredible value to a CMO and incredible organizational challenges to many of the other folks in the marketing department. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think of it in two ways. I think of it as the technology enablement is something the marketers have to work with the technology teams for. Yeah. But being on Facebook is not a technical experience. <laughs> right. It happens to rest on technology, but it's the, it's, it, the technology is not the uh, thing that needs to be figured out in that case. But then there's a community of interest or a sort of a quote-unquote local environment um, that needs to be understood better and be responded to in, in its own way. So a um, couple of last things just for some fun. Um, curious with quick sort of off the top of your head um, reactions, perspectives to – I'll throw out a couple of um, uh, technologies or other areas. I'm just curious about your take given all your work with the CMOs. Mm -hmm. So Google+. Plus. Controversial, not sure where it's going. Um, I, I think they, I, I don't know. I know there's people who really love Google Plus, but I haven't seen it drawing a lot of attention away from the things that already have a big audience. Yep. So Google will have to show the way Facebook did that there's a big audience before CMOs yep. will get super involved there. Um, so there's some dabbling there. You know, I know Ford is dabbling there, but I don't think there's a lot going on. Okay. Uh, how about the Groupon Living Social World? Um, the Daily that, Deals. Bad to be scared of. Um, I think that it's already, you know, it's, it's, it's very popular with consumers and very frustrating for um, both product owners and retailers. 
because they want to, they, they know they have to be there, but they don't want to be there and they're trying to figure out whether it's going to impact them or not. Yeah. Um, I think more likely the uh, time-based buying sites like Gilt and Rulala yep. and Bon Privé, which is uh, going to be working over here soon. Um, those are the ones that seem to have a little bit more sustainability because they're creating a loyalty to finding out what the next thing is in a different environment than um, these sort of one-off deals that go out and some of them are interesting and some of them are not. Right. Oh, brilliant perspective. Uh, last one, QR codes. Uh, yeah, actually, I just saw a study this morning that most of the people who know about it and have used QR codes are between 18 and 34 years old in male, which is not that surprising. Um, I have seen them a lot in magazines. I don't know what the uptake is and if people know what they are. In fact, there was one on a mailbox I was walking into work today and it had no, um, there was nothing around it. It was just the QR code. I guess it was a guy scavenger hunt. Um, uh, QR codes have a lot of potential as smartphone adoption continues to grow. Um, I think it's still an experimental phase in terms of what it uh, actually means in terms of mm -hmm. sales volume or responsiveness. But just like with addressable TV and, and RFIs on TV, I think it's it's another way to get people to respond and it's very trackable. So uh, the people who are using them have good insight into whether it is working. I think 2011 and probably well into 2012 is going to be the benchmark year. Yeah. Meaning get it started, see what the experiments are like, and then see what your growth is, it looks like in how you use those. It, to me right now, they're a lot like the Facebook and Twitter logos that are ubiquitous on every advertisement. Now. <laughs> um, if you don't know what the value is of what you're getting, you're probably not going to click on it. Right. But if you either have a great affinity for the brand or you do, or there is a good call to action, then you'll probably click through and, and uh, you know, the early adopters will click through and see what they get on the other end. Good stuff. Okay. Well, thank you, David, for being my guest today. Thanks, everyone in the audience, for listening to today's conversation. If you have any questions or would like to talk further about the topic of today's show, feel free to connect with me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Glenn Engler or on my blog, www.glennengler.com. And please visit www.webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern Time on Tuesdays to tune into episodes of Market Edge. Thank you very much.